Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. I think there's something great about when you get an opportunity to have a peek into someone's life who is doing life well and seeing success in their life. I think you can learn so much. I was trying to figure out tonight before I came to this service, uh, you know, how much of what I've learned has come from people. And I kind of figured that probably it's about half has come to me just in worship or in prayer or in seeking God on my own, but at least 50% of it has come to me via somebody else. And uh, so that's why I'm excited about this panel tonight that's going to give us some insights in this month on Grow. Pastor Hayden Glass is going to lead that. So give Hayden a big hand. He'll introduce the whole panel to you. That'll be great. Thanks, Hayden. A big hand. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. How you all doing, church? Thanks, Leo. Give Leo a round of applause. He's had a big day today. There's been lots going on. Hey, why don't we uh, introduce and welcome our other panel members. As Pastor Jeff said, it's great to hear from different people and different perspectives. So first up, let's welcome Natalia McCraw. And Mr. Mark Patterson. Great to have you here, sir. And Nikki, last but not least, let's welcome Nikki Blaine as well. Great. How are you all doing? Good. We're just going to pretend that they're not here. And we'll just have a little chat about some things. Does that sound good? Yeah. Why don't we start off with some quick fire questions just so that... We get to know each other, get to know little quirks about each other. So grab your mic, Mark. So you ready? I'm ready. All right. We'll start with Nikki. We'll go this way a few times, and then we'll go back the other way. Uh, what's your favourite movie? Madagascar. Madagascar. Yeah. Mark? I'll give you three. Oh. Value three for one. Okay. So uh, Waking Ned Divine, the best, best of British comedy. Okay. Uh, Gilded Cage, the best of French comedy. Yeah. Red 2, the best of American comedy. Wow. You're so cultured. I don't think there's any cultured about Red 2. <laughs> uh, I'm picking The Lion King. Oh, The Lion King. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it. Um, I, the only well. movies I watch over and over again are Christmas movies. So I would say Elf, Charlie Brown Christmas, <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe Love Actually. There we go. Nice. Uh, Nikki, finish this sentence. We're in, when I grow up, I want to be a... A ballerina. <laughs> Is Nikki's mic working? I want to be a ballerina when I grow up. Um, yeah, you still want to be a ballerina? Definitely. Yep. Mr. Mark, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be young again. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we'll let you know how that goes. Natalia? Oh, I just wanted to be someone who signed off on papers. That looked cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, what was the last book you read? Notes on a Nervous Planet by Matt Hagues. Oh, okay. Uh, Killing Kryptonite, John Bevere. Okay. Letters to My Daughter by Maya Angelou. Oh, very good. All right, you can go first this time, Natalia. What's your, what's your standard coffee order? You walk in, they say, can I get you a coffee? What is it? Just a flat white. Flat white. No I'm sugar. a flat white as well. Strong flat white. Or I believe a uh, short Mac topped up, which my barista tells me is exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't order that in the US. <laughs> They'll just look at you like an alien. <laughs> uh, I go for a batch brew. If they don't have one, I get a long black. You should try. They're actually quite good, Mark. You should try one. I will. Yeah, batch proof. Is that a coffee? 
Yeah, it's copy. Okay. <laughs> when you're in a car on your own, what's your like go-to dance song? On my own, so yeah. no, no kids. Yeah. Um, Latin music. Okay. So probably Shakira. All right. <laughs> yep. Hips don't lie. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> Mine's um, Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. Oh. Yeah. I generally don't dance in the car, but if I was going to, it would probably be the Bee Gees. Okay, Bee Gees. I'd go Mr. Brightside by the Killers. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what was the last gift you gave someone? A uh, pair of shoes. Okay, very good. Um, ooh, oh, it was Kylie's birthday, so it oh. was makeup. Um, mine was probably cash because I'm useless at buying gifts. <laughs> okay, I should put you on my birthday list. <laughs> uh, I bought Luke a smartwatch for his birthday on Friday. Oh, yes. Happy birthday, Luke. Yesterday. I won't tell you how old he is because then you'll know how old I am. Um, well, if, there was an, if there was an autobiography, if you wrote an autobiography about yourself, what would the title be? Oh, I really like Michelle Obama's title, Becoming. I thought that was so good. Yeah. So can it? I just steal it? No, yes. Becoming V2 or something yeah, like that. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Um, mine would be, I just said yes. I haven't thought about this one. It would probably be something like, uh, he was a stubborn old coot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Something about dancing through life or movement through life or something like that. Something to do with Bali. Yeah. What, hey, Nick, what's your most used emoji on your phone? Ooh. This one. This one. <laughs> Fa- face palm? Yeah. You're looking at me like you're not sure that I actually know what an emoji no, is. No, I, Mark, I know you are up with technology and you're on the cutting edge of things. I know you know what an emoji is. Purple heart. Purple heart, okay. Mine's this one. Okay, that one. Yeah, yeah mine's probably the thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. Cool. If you were a stranded on a deserted island, who are three people you'd like to have with you? My husband, my Good son, answer. and my second son. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Um, mine would be Kylie, um, and then it would be um, probably Alex, and then um, Matt Damon. But no, no, huh? How many you got? Then you have three people. Carry on. And um, Matt Damon, but in that movie, that when he was that guy, I can't remember the title of the movie now. Yes, Jason Bourne. As, yeah, Matt Damon is Jason Bourne. There you go. That would be my three. Um, I'd probably have my wife. Oh, good, good answer. <laughs> She's one of my grandchildren. I'll tell you what, in all honesty, if I had to just choose a few, I'd take Jeffrey because he's such a hoot when he's away from home. <laughs> <laughs> so just Jeff and Andrea? Oh, look, someone who can cook really well. Yeah. Okay. Um... <laughs> As well as my wife. I saw you. You're a naughty man. So that she doesn't have to cook, though, isn't it? So she yep. can enjoy the food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think I'd take my fiancé, Luke, yep. and my best friend, Nicole, and maybe Bear Grylls. I feel like he would get some Bear stuff done. Okay, Bear Grylls. Yep. Okay, last one. If you had the opportunity to go to the moon, would you and why? No, I don't think so. No? Uh, I like... Looking up and in wonder rather than knowing what's there. I think, yeah. Okay. I probably would because I love pushing the envelope. Yeah. I reckon I'd, I'd do it. Yeah, I reckon I'd go just to check it out. 
Yeah, I would, I would go. I think there's this series right now with astronauts that have actually gone and they're giving their vantage point on what the or Earth looks like. Just to see the world from that perspective, I wouldn't pass that up. That'd be too, yeah. Very good. Hey, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about... That was, that was the fun stuff. Why don't you tell us, um, maybe Mark, we'll start with you, just a little bit about who you are, your, maybe a bit of your life as a younger person and how you're involved in church and just kind of a bit of a couple of minute. this is Mark Patterson. That's three questions there. Um, where shall I start? Well, look, I'm, I'm a dad and, and a husband and a grandpa and a friend and a good friend of Jesus. Along the way, I'm a businessman, an entrepreneur, I'm an architect, I'm a missionary. Um, you asked what it was like when I was young. When I was young, I reckon I was a pain in the butt <laughs> because I had a harsh upbringing. And for my father, it's not his fault. He didn't have a dad. Uh, nothing I did was good enough. And I was the third child in four, the second son. So you cannot be a more average spot in a family than me. <laughs> and I think right then is when I developed an aversion to being average at anything. But I had to, to try to prove myself. So I had this very stupid notion for the first oh, at least 25 years of my life uh, that I had to be the best at everything in order to have self-worth. So that, that doesn't make you a real attractive person. Um, so that's the early part of my life. And then, uh, so I, I was saved. You want to know about this as well? We keep, yeah. keep a clock on me, right? So I, so I met Jesus when I was 15. And the thing that, that he got my attention was because a very strong sense God was saying, um, I have a purpose for you. You're okay. Wow. And I thought, all right, I'll sign up to that. That's now 47 years ago. And uh, what I've learned, what I had to learn for the first maybe 15 years of my walk with God was I had to reframe my perception of what a father was. And uh, once that changed, then uh, then we're off. Here we are. Great. Thank you. Nikki, who are you? (laughs) Well, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a professional ballet dancer. That's what I do. Um, I used to say it's who I am, but I don't really say that anymore. Um, so I grew up in a beautiful family, two sisters, um, but I decided when I was six I was going to be a ballet dancer. So it's like being an Olympian, you don't wake up in the morning, decide you're going to be an Olympic swimmer and there you go. It's years and years of training and training and training. So my childhood was in the studio all day, every day, all day, like a day and day again. And at 14 I made the decision to move to Melbourne away from my family to study full time at the Australian Ballet School. Um, and largely ballet was just all I was. That's it. Um, and it's taken me a really long time, and I'm still working on it, 25 now, um, to realise that that isn't an identity. Because uh-huh. yeah. at any minute, ballet could be taken away from me, not that I ever want that to happen. Uh-huh. And um, who would I be without that? So I've really learnt a lot through, through God, really what it means to be something other than just what you do. And I get to serve in this awesome church, Metro. Tonight, I'm actually the production manager. So I work backstage, which has been a really awesome thing for me to see the other side because usually I'm on stage performing. That's what I do for a job. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's, that's mostly me. Yep. So, Melbourne, where did you go after Melbourne? How did you end up in Perth? So, um, after Melbourne, I, so I did four, no, five years full-time at the Australian Ballet School. Um, it's hardcore being a dancer. It's really not an easy path and you don't sign up thinking that it's going to be easy. But um, I did five years full-time. There were 25 of us that started together 
10 of us graduated, so if you 15 dropped out. Wow. 10 of us graduated, and five of us ended up with jobs at the end of it. So I graduated school, and it took me two and a half years to find a job as a dancer. Um, that meant working in cafes, supporting myself, doing every little job that I could just to try and get through. Like, I, what did I do? I babysat, I taught, I did all these weird things that I didn't want to do just because I knew that I was going to get a job eventually. And then I travelled all over the world doing auditions. I did 39 auditions before I got my first job. So talk about <laughs> rejection making you stronger. Um, and I finally got my first job at the National Ballet of Canada in Toronto. So I moved to Toronto at 19. And I was... I jumped all in thinking this was it and this was going to be my big moment to be a star. Like I, lit- I thought, this is it. I've made it. One year into the company and they said, we don't have a contract for you next year. And so that was devastating again to start again really at the place of, and it was coming back to me, all these auditions where I'd failed again and again and again. And I just went, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm on the other side of the world. My family live in Brisbane. I don't have any money. And then you'll never believe, I was on Facebook scrolling through and it came up, Western Australian Ballet are holding auditions in New York City. I was like, that's weird. So I clicked on it and it turned out to be in my holidays. Like, what are the chances? I flew to New York and offered, got offered a job on the day and my relocation was paid and I moved to Perth and here I am, my fourth year in the company and I did not intend of being a WA Ballet. I thought I was going to be in like a big star in the Royal Ballet but I've learnt so much and sorry I'm rambling but what I've learnt most about being back home and back in Perth is that it's okay to be settled somewhere and it's very important to have yourself anchored to something I used to think that I wasn't successful unless I was running around like crazy. My life was in a suitcase. I could leave at any moment. I'm free. I'm free. But it is so important to have yourself grounded and connected and anchored in a church because you won't get very far on your own. Wow. Hey, thanks for sharing, Nick. That's great. Really good. Yeah, give a round of applause. That's amazing. Well done. Congratulations. Natalia. We're skipping you. We're going straight to me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so who, who are you? <laughs> I am uh, a first-generation American, so that means my parents are foreign-born. So my dad is from Guatemala, and my mom is from Mexico. And um, I was born in Dallas, a suburb of Dallas called Grand Prairie. And so I both, you know, grew up speaking Spanish at home and learned English at school, like a lot of kids that moved to a new country. Um, but with very much this, you know, American dream, you are so lucky to be here in this country. And you can, if you work hard, if you study hard, you can do anything. And I think my parents really instilled that in me because they didn't have that. If you, you know, grew up in their countries, it was really hard to get out of your socioeconomic status. And um, so it just, I think that really framed my worldview is just to not take that for granted. Um, so from there, I uh, yeah went to school in Texas. I uh, went to university, studied international relations and um, economics, and then French. I was uh, learning French, never thinking it would amount to anything, aside from that I enjoyed speaking it, and it was a bit easier because I spoke Spanish as well. And uh, I my first job, I studied abroad, I should say that, in France uh, my junior year of university. Um, and I had met my... I didn't know it at the time, but my husband-to-be when I was in high school. And I just was, you know, I was going to be abroad. And that was something that very early on was, um, yes, a desire in my heart and something that my grandma had spoken over me when I was really, really little, before my family even knew Christ. 
And so I just grew up with this international mindset. And so I studied abroad, graduated, and thought, what's the first job I can get overseas? And it was to um, start this business school in a vocational college in Thailand. So I moved to Bangkok. Um, and I remember telling people in Texas that I was moving to Thailand. They would say, Tyler, Texas? What are you going to do in Tyler? <laughs> I said, no, Thailand. It's a country. <laughs> so I, I went to Thailand. I was there for a year. And I, I really loved it. I think I love teaching. And that's something that really I, I wasn't expecting it. It stuck with me. Um, I had these students who were 17 to 20 years old, and I was 22. So they were like, do you want to catch a movie afterwards? And, um, but it, I just loved teaching. And um, I knew after that year I was going to move back to, to the U.S. and eventually find something else. But I discovered then that I was like, when I retire or when I end my career, I want to end teaching. And I don't, that wasn't something that I knew until then. So I moved back to Houston uh, with a already in acceptance to go to this uh, master's program in Egypt. So I was just there for three months before I was going to go off to Egypt. And I took on this summer job. So I was covering for somebody in this oil and gas company in HR, something I knew nothing about. Um, But because I spoke French, they thought, oh, well, rather than doing this job, you could actually cover for this person. And you're, of all the applicants, the one with the least experience, but you know, you, you speak French, it could be interesting, what do you think? So I started off with them. When Arab Spring happened in Egypt and I couldn't go anymore, I was devastated. And they offered me an extension and eventually brought me on full-time. And um, I remember having that discussion on whether I would work for them or not, and I was really adamant that I didn't want to stay in Houston because I'd always said to Jeremy, I don't want it, you know, a white picket fence in a two-door garage. That is not life for me. And um, they said, no, look, we believe that we could have an international career, just perform, and we'll see where it goes. And lo and behold, um, I think after four years of working in our Houston office, I was um, transferred over to Paris to work in our head office. From there, given an opportunity in Scotland, where I spent some time in Aberdeen, and then back in Paris, and then they've moved me to Perth, where I had my first management role, which... um, I was only 29, and I would not tell anybody at the office because I was like, they, uh, my credibility is out the door if they know I'm under 40, um, <laughs> which they could tell, but they didn't know I was 29. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I came here in, in my first leadership role and really grew so much through that. Um, I got married to Jeremy uh, one year after being in Australia, and he um, left everything in Houston, and we moved here, and it was just, we had no idea why Perth? And I think some of you guys have heard that story, and we can definitely share that. But um, yeah, God has us here, and so we feel just this big calling in our life to live called wherever we go. Amazing. Well done. It's great. Very, very exciting. How cool. So diverse backgrounds, things like that. Um, I uh, didn't really do great at school. I uh, grew up in Perth, but didn't do great in school, and uh, so university wasn't really an option for me. Uh, and then I did a lot of study uh, at Woolworths uh, in retail, kind of got all my diplomas and certificates while I was there, and then uh, about 12 years or 10 years into that, um, they told me that the company I was working for told me that I couldn't take leave uh, to do school leavers uh, with Red Frogs uh, because it was too close to Christmas, and so I quit, Um, and then six weeks later, I came on staff at the church. 
um, here doing uh, lots of different roles uh, over the years. I've been here on staff for 10 years now, but now I get to do Red Frogs and outwork that uh, through the life of the church, which is pretty amazing and so very blessed. And yeah, I've just kind of, I've just said yes along the way to, to different opportunities that have come up in different leadership roles and things like that, which has been really, really exciting. This month, uh, we're talking about growth, and obviously, you know, our primary growth goal as a Christian is to become more Christ-like. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, be imitators of me, just as I also imitate Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk uh, in them. And, the, and then Romans 12 2 says, do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, so you may prove what the will of God is that it, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I guess we all know that the mind is such a strong place for people. Um, it's sometimes the door to self-doubt and fear and, and all the things that hold us back. Uh, but what are some of the practices that, that each of you do, maybe it's even daily, that help keep your mind on track and sound? Obviously, Nikki, like your profession is super physical and I'm guessing the mental uh, toughness that comes with that. How do you, how do you go through those days and, and kind of, I guess, without making light of mental health but how do you stay sane on those days um yeah it is quite tough some days but for me the most important thing in every day is how I start the start of my day is the most important part for me um every morning I wake up and I have a rule for myself that I don't always follow but I try to look at my bible before I look at my phone that's really important for me so I look at I leave my phone hopefully after I turn my alarm off take my Bible, go sit on my balcony and I have breakfast and I have my coffee and that's my time. Then when I get to work, so we start rehearsals at 10 o'clock but once we start rehearsals it's not like, ah, ease into your day. No, it's like, go. So you put your pointies on, your muscles are burning already by 11. So I try to get to work by 8.30 or 9 and I I have a playlist called Faith Christians. It's all my favourite praise and worship songs. I put it in while I do my Pilates in the morning. We have a gym in in our um, building do my Pilates, I do my cardio and all that, and I just try and focus on God and what he's got for me today. If I don't have that time for whatever reason, I've had an appointment in the morning and I'm rushing or whatever, I do notice the difference for my day because I think how you start is the most important. Um, and then before a show, I have the same playlist on. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Natalia? How do you, those, like, obviously big corporate in oil and gas, everything that's going on in that, how do you kind of bring that mental strength to your day? I wish I could be like Nikki and start my day in like silence, but my day starts with a crying baby. <laughs> so I think um, I I know I, like maybe like a lot of people, I take time to wind my mind down before I can actually go to sleep. And in that time, when I'm lying in bed, I feel like God and I have the best discussions because. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 just the way to not only just talk about the day, but just listen. And, and just get revelation about what's going on. And I think for me, especially with whatever's happening at work, uh, it seems like such a big deal in the moment. And we can get so caught up in ourselves and our environment. But when you just focus on God, you zoom out and you realize how big he is and how small we are. And there's something really divine about realizing how small you are. And you just go, oh, you know. First of all, none of what I'm concerned about is actually big to God. Yeah. I serve a mighty God. Yeah. And if that doesn't keep you sane, I don't know what else does. You know, you just realize the, the power of God. And you say, God, I just want to do everything I can in my little role to honor you. 
And so, yeah, I think that's, that's what makes complex problems just seem so easy for God, just yeah. putting him there. Yeah. What about you, Mark? You know, there's those days when you want to press, snooze, I don't know, I'm guessing there's those days where you want to press snooze one more time and the days where it's a bit slower to get started. How do you... You don't know me very well. Well, of course, I, I get up at five to start my dance rehearsals. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's not a problem for me to get up early. I hate sleeping in. Yeah. So uh, I'm just a morning person. So I start really early. Yeah. Um, what do you want to know, sir? What's some of your, your, your I guess, um, your practices to centre? How do I keep... Yeah? Okay. Well, I start my day very early, usually when I'm still in bed. Well, always when I'm still in bed, um, because by then my mind has wound down. Um, we have great conversations with the Lord. Then I get up, wherever, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm in the gym or walking or making breakfast. And, yeah. uh, usually my wife is catching up on a beauty sleep, which she's allowed to do. So I'm on my own. Um, we always, we both of us always have breakfast with our Bibles. That's our... Um, there's nothing religious about that. It's just that every day I have breakfast. So um, uh, that's just become a habit with us. Um, how do I focus? Well, you know, I just, con- I just consider perhaps because perhaps I got a little older. You know, I, I treasure every day. And it's not that I'm about to die. But it's just that I realise <laughs> that... You ask my wife, um, what's a bad day for Mark? And she won't tell you that my bad days are the days when I have the most problems and dealing with the most difficult people. She will tell you Mark's bad days are the days that I'm neither refreshed nor I've achieved something. So I want to make every day count. Um, I really value the fact... See, we live in Les Murdy. My office is in West Perth. When I'm going in the office, that's about... about 40 minutes' drive. And some people say, oh, that must be terrible. No, actually, I really enjoy it. Um, That's usually my time as well when I'm talking. Now, you, you don't want to build your Christian life on the conversations in a car, okay? That's not... That's not what I'm recommending, but nonetheless, it's a great time for me to focus. And as Natalia said, just help God. Often I'll pray my prayer to God, apart from asking him, will you give me for today, just for today, I need the wisdom, grace and favour to succeed today. But I'll ask him for perspective. So by the time I hit the office and uh, start making calls and meeting people, then I'm more centred on what's important to God. So that uh, I'm emotionally, I'm a pretty emotionally stable person anyway, but... When I'm leading, I want to make sure that I'm always leading from a very solid, even base because if I ever make decisions or deal with people on the basis of my emotions, I can hurt them. That's a long answer to the question. But, yeah, I start dance exercise about five. Okay, great. Um, Obviously, uh, you did an architecture degree uh, back in the day. Since then... Back in the day. Well, (laughs) no, we had pencils. (laughs) (laughs) But... And obviously, you're now not in architecture anymore. Um, well, you're in architecture of life. Not they struck me off, yeah. yeah. Um, what have you done to, to keep your training up and your education and your self-education to learn the different things in the different aspects of the roles that you've moved into? Wow. Okay. Um, well, strictly speaking, if you ask me about my profession, what do I do to keep my skills up? Well, they actually struck me off because I didn't keep up with my PD because okay. I'm just... A bit of a rebel. But what do I do in life generally? Well, I read a lot. I think a lot. I mix a lot with people who are going to stretch me. Yep. So uh, I'm quite deliberate. I don't want to sound cold-hearted about it. Mm-hmm. We've got lots of friends. But I'm quite deliberate about making sure I'm in the space, in the world of people who are going to stretch me in the direction that I believe God's building me. Yep. What about you, Nikki? Obviously, again, quite a physical thing. But is there 
uh, more theory-based things that you've had to learn along the way about ballet. Tell us about how you've kind of done education in your career. Um, yeah, so I didn't have a typical education. Um, at the Australian Ballet School in grade 10, 11, 12, we did English, but that was the only sort of core subject we had to do. Um, we studied psychology, drama, music, and something else. Art, maybe? <laughs> something related to arts. So it was never really... Um, that based around uh, academic, yep. formalised like academic. But I actually love the academic side of things. So, I mean, I actually have taken on a Bachelor of Science at the moment because I've decided that when I gradu- um, graduate, when I retire from ballet, I want to do radiography. Um, so oh, wow. that's just something that I'm trying to stretch my mind to do. And I find that when I'm busier, I'm more productive. So when I fill my time, I'm actually more productive. Uh-huh. Great. What about you, Natalia? What's your professional development kind of been for yourself over the years since leaving uni? I think I I really liked being a student and and I think part of it is because my parents never gave me a choice. Like going to uni was a a gift and you must and that was it Um, because they didn't get to go through school all the way. So for me, the reason I want, when I graduated and went into teaching, I loved it because I was still a student. I had to prepare for, you know, every class that I was giving and I think... I always want to be a student, and that's something that I will carry with me always. And yeah. so whenever I have an organizational development issue, I, I research. I go and I say, okay, what are others doing? Or I'm listening to podcasts about leadership or you know, cutting-edge HR practices because I really want to be inspired and constantly um, feeding myself, uh, my mind, and the same way feeding my soul with things that um, yeah, help me be able to pour into others as well. Yeah. Um, in business, there's an age-old saying, if you can't do it, delegate it. Pretty sure I've heard you say that once or twice, Mark. <laughs> um, but we all know there's things that we have to learn to do. There's, all, there's things that maybe we're not good at the first time, but we can't delegate it. It's our responsibility that we have to do. Do you want to share something that's kind of been a real challenge you've had to overcome in that business and, and work sphere? So you want me to share a challenge that I've had in the business and work sphere? This could take a little while. <laughs> Uh, we're talking, so we're talking about growth, we're talking about delegation. Yep. Can I just, because uh, this is the, we're in the middle of an election period, anybody know that? That means that I don't have to answer the question, you just ask me. Um, <laughs> Which seat are you running for? <laughs> Look, delegation, I was, I, was, I, was chatting, I was chatting to Natalia a little earlier, and delegation is one of those things that I see many people, many leaders don't do very well. Um, I crudely call it dumping. That's what most people do. Um, I consider delegation one of the most powerful tools that a leader has, and it's also one of the most powerful things we can do ourselves to grow our life. So whenever I delegate, there's a whole lot of rules, if you like. So, for instance, I will never, ever, ever delegate something because I don't want to do it, ever. Um, I figure if I'm not prepared to do it, then I'm going to ask someone else to do it. But anyway, I'm not going to preach. Um, When I'm delegating a task or a responsibility, it's only ever partly about the task or responsibility. It's also equally partly about me giving an opportunity for someone to step up. I love it. I love it. Why do I love it? Because probably that's what I want. You know, I love people to give me something to do, Mm -hmm. uh, explain the why behind the what. And uh, let me do it because I want to grow into it. So I just, uh, I just love doing that. So what mistakes have I made? That's not really what you asked. I've made tons of mistakes. Tons of them. Gosh, that should be my book. <laughs> tons of mistakes. Look, I don't know whether you call it a mistake, but I've, I've had to learn how to delegate well. 
Um, uh, some people who, who know me would say, have said to me, Mark, you're a micromanager. Well, they're wrong. Um, what I am is a micro-noticer. I notice everything. But yeah. I don't have a drive to manage it. It's just that I notice it. So sure. I, I love to delegate well. You know, when you delegate to someone, if, particularly if it's a learning experience, which it usually should be, then you know what? They're not always going to succeed. So I've got to learn to keep that perspective and think, well, generally, in my world, no one's going to die. You know, it's not, it's not critical. Cut people a bit of slack. I guess I'd say, in hindsight, there's been a few occasions when I've delegated and that wasn't very smart, but sometimes you don't know. You've got to give people a go. Yeah. I figure, you know, if God took a risk with me, I'm going to take a risk with the people I lead. Wow. That's great. Amazing. What are you, Natalia? What's, some of the, what's something you, a challenge in your career or your corporate life that you've had to really work out to overcome and, and rely on not just yourself but obviously God and other people as well? Yeah, I think a lot of times um, I t- tell God, you know, you have placed me here and it feels like I've bitten off a bit more than I can chew, <laughs> but God, you've placed me here and, um, you know, you equip those that you call and, and I just have to trust God in, in that moment. And so for me, uh, it, it's just coming back to God and saying, okay, this feels like too much for me and I know that growth actually hurts. So growth spurts hurt and uh, it's painful, and I just want to make sure that in that I'm growing the right way yeah. because we can just grow diagonal or sideways or whatever, and we need to kind of keep hold of what God has and why he's put us in that place. So, yeah, for me, I think the biggest challenge is always, especially when you get assigned some project and you think, yeah, yeah, I can do that, and then you really start to break it down and you go, what did I just say yes to? Um, and And... God gets you through one project after the other after the other, and I think you learn about yourself and, yeah, how God is graceful all throughout. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. And I, would, I feel exactly the same. I, the places I go and the people I speak to, I sometimes walk out shaking my head going, are you serious? Did I just get to have that conversation? And Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, some say that Christianity um, is a crutch. Sure is. Um, and obviously, you've all been very successful, and people would say that you know you got individ- you as individuals have put in the hard yards, and you've put in the work in, and things like that. But Nikki, why don't you start us off with how much of it has been your reliance on God? Well, I think it's all God because He gave me the gift to be able to dance in the first place. Yep. Um, it has been hard work, and I would never say that it's not. It hasn't been hard work, but I think it's 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 all God, and I've tried to do it on my own, and it doesn't work, and when I'm with God, I'm dancing better and I'm... It, the the arts and the performing world can be a really, really dark place and filled with some not great things. So if I don't have something to hold on to, it's really easy to get sunk, like to get pulled down into all of that. So holding on to God has made me a better dancer and a better artist. Not always given me the promotions that I would have liked because it can be sometimes a bit sneaky, some of the things that happen in the world. Yep. But it has made me... It is making me lead my career with integrity. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Mark? Ask me the question again. Um, you know, people would say, well, you know, Mark, you've worked hard. You've oh, okay. worked hard yards. You, you should be as successful as you are. Yeah, well, we all... The harder we work, the lucky we are. But, look, I think uh, everything in life, everything that, uh, that, that we've won through on is always a partnership. Yeah. It's, it's never all God. 
Now, I know it can be. It's just my observation through my last 47 years is, no, it's never all God, and it's never all me. Yeah. It's, a, it's a deal. You know, I, love the, I just love the scriptures, but I love uh, when Jesus said at the end of his three and a half years training of these guys, he said, look, you've called me Lord and Master, Rabbi, as you should, but now I'm calling you friends. Now we're in partnership. I mean, what yeah. an unbelievable, that just blows my mind. Yeah. So everything I do, everything, there's not one part of my life where it's just, just me or just me and Andy. Yeah. Um, God's just, we just, we do it together. Yeah, yeah. But you, Natalia, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I mean, I think um, God just, he calls us a royal priesthood. He calls us a friend. He calls us, you know, his children. And so I think I always go, God, I'm no, not any more special than the next person. Yeah. The only difference is that when God said you are special, I believed him and I keep believing him and I keep asking him and I keep listening to that. And I think that is what carries me through. And I think any, anyone who believes God, when he tells us what he's calling us to do, we all have that same authority. So totally. What about you, Nikki? How did you, um, kind of decide, you know, this Christian life is something that I'm going to follow and I'm going to pursue. And this is what I, who I'm going to be. Um, well, I grew up in a Christian family, so I was lucky enough to have that faith instilled in me, and I encountered Jesus at a really young age, so I knew that he was real. Um, when I moved to Melbourne at 14, I, I was so focused on ballet that my, I filled my world with it, and I didn't have time for God, and I didn't go to church at all. And so I spent seven years away from God. And then when I moved to Toronto, the craziest thing happened. God works in crazy ways. So I joined the company and two girls came up to me and they said, hey, we're Christians, we're going to find a church. And I was like, oh, me too. And I hadn't been to church in seven years. And I said, okay, cool, going back to church. And it was such a God, divine moment that those two girls were in my world. And um, I mean, in a ballet company in Toronto, neither of them were Canadian. It was crazy. So then I, I ended up at a C3 church in Toronto. So it was an Australian church. It was filled with Australians. I gave my life back to God. I was baptized and... I, I just, that was it. That was it. So, Mark, you were 15 uh, when you uh, accepted Jesus. Um, why have you stayed? What, what's kept you? Hello. What a deal. I mean, where, where was I going to go? You know, I've never regretted it. Never once. Um, in fact, just about every day of my life in the last 47 years, I just wake up with, a, with an expectation of privilege. I really yep. do. Um, I mean, I have good days and bad days like everybody, but I never lose the sense of wonder that yeah. God chased me and yeah. found me. I mean, for goodness sake. Uh, you walk away from God, you're dumb. <laughs> dumb choice. He's going to come after you because he knows what's best for you. You know, yeah. I, I, you know in my early years, there was, there was all sorts of these wacky things you know, that people used to believe. You know, like, uh, you don't want to get too close to God because he'll make you do something you don't want to do. I mean, What? <laughs> Bizarre is that. I think when you have children, it uh, gives you an extra perspective as well. And we've got lots of children. And they just teach me that, wow, you know, as the scripture says, you know, if you being, you know, just evil men know how to give good things to your children, this gives an insight into the father heart of God. He loves you so much. And he's got a plan. So it's not just about saving us to go to heaven. I think that was what, you know, when I was saved back in 1972, that was the start of the charismatic movement across Perth, right? So we just got holy rolly and just waited for Jesus to come back. But obviously what he's done, see, my career, people, you know, you didn't ask about my career, and that's good because I confuse people. I hate being put in a box. But my career, I'd say, well, my career is what God has shaped. 
because he's been shaping me to fulfill the purpose that I was born for. Wow. So I've always had a great sense of purpose in my life. I've always had a sense right in, deep in my heart, absolute conviction that my life matters and that I count and that I'm going to leave a legacy. Yep. I'm not sure if that answered the question, but it was a good no. story. Great. <laughs> just tell it. <laughs> Is there anything you want to add, Natalia? If maybe there's someone here who just goes, oh, I'm not too sure. Do I really want to do this? Or... About being a Christian? Yeah. About knowing Christ? I mean, I think it's for every, anybody who has come to know Christ will tell you it's one of the most life-changing things that will ever happen to you. Um, And I think it gives you, again, that sense of meaning and purpose. But so many things that maybe didn't make sense before, all of a sudden do. And I think you cannot live. You you will always have this void and this um, constant search uh, for completeness that you cannot have without God. So I think if you feel that in your heart, the only answer is God. And we get to God through Jesus. And so I think... We are just blessed to have, you know, through different times. For me, I think I was, I was 10. It was through my grandma um, to come to know Christ. And, and then your life changes. And you go through, I mean, it's not like I knew Christ and then life was, you know, fantastic. And we never, I think you have ups and downs. And I went through a real, I, I don't know, intellectual phase in uni where I was looking at the Bible like a textbook and saying, oh, is this historically correct? And, you know, at the time, that might have been real. But today, is that true? Or is this just a story from the Hebrews' perspective? And really had to talk to God about that and say, if you've said that this is your word and this is inspired by you, then let me, you know, feel. And, and I think I, I constantly have to do that is come back to God through that. So it's the most life-changing thing you'll do. But it's an ongoing, like any relationship, you have to continually... Um, yeah, work at it. So growth. Hey, thanks everyone. Thanks for, for sharing. Thanks for your openness and, and thanks for your honesty as well. Why don't we give uh, these guys a round of applause? <laughs> so before you go, I'm, maybe Nikki, do you want to pray for us before we keep going with the service? Yeah, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, thank you so much for this awesome opportunity to be together this evening. I thank you that each and every person in this room is, is your child and you, you are blessing them as we speak. And I pray that as we go through our worlds and our days, you are part of everything that we do. Lord, I thank you that we get to experience you on a daily basis and we're never, ever alone. Lord, just bless each person as they leave. Fill them with, their, with a profound peace and joy that only you can bring. In your name, Lord. Amen. 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 Let's thank Nikki, Mark, and Natalia one more time.